Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. What tonight is going to be is I'm going to try to paint a single picture um, through the message tonight. Sometimes there's points, four or five points, six or seven points, you know, nine or ten points on the longer ones. Uh, but we're going to try to just paint one single picture tonight around one point. I'm going to try to bring a couple different elements to, to um, just basically remind us the, um, the gift that we've been given and why we are celebrating during this particular holiday. And so <clears throat> we did a series on the Bible earlier this year, so I'm not going to go through all that. But the first line in your notes um, is relevant to how we're going to start here tonight. So the Bible is not a single book. It is a library, a library of writings, historical documents, books, and letters. So it is all gathered together. <clears throat> now, the books of the Bible, I did not know this as a young person, so maybe this will help some of you guys. But the books of the Bible are not in chronological order. Can somebody tell me what that means? Anybody, just shout it out to me. Not ordered by date. Not ordered by date. There you go. Thank you for the simplicity of that one. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so they're not in the order that the date of um, they were written or the occurrence that they're, that they're um, talking about written in the book. They are not chronological. They are not in date order. Um, let me give you an example of this, and it's the next line in your notes, is um, our Old Testament begins with the book of Genesis, right? But the book of Job is the 18th book of the Bible. Um, however, most historians and biblical scholars believe Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So it was the oldest recorded account. Job was taught by his ancestors, which he's in the, all of us are in the lineage of Adam and Eve, <clears throat> about God, and he was tested that way um, before there was ever a nation, before Moses was, you know, uh, writing the, the first five books of the Bible, before any of that. So even though it's the 18th book in the Bible, it's actually the oldest one that's written. Okay, let me give you another example. The book of Nehemiah is the 16th book, so two before Job, 16th book of the Bible, but is written the same at the same time frame as the last book of the Old Testament, which was Malachi. <clears throat> Malachi. So I didn't know this because when I was a youngster, I was in the children's church and they taught me how to sing all the songs, you know. Uh, let's see how many uh, old school church folks we got in here. Ready? I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H. There we go. There are about half of y'all understand. Okay. Right? I'm going to say two words, and everybody who's real churchy will get this. Ready? Father Abraham. So There you go. Okay, cool. So we've got some work to do with our kids, I guess, to, to teach them. This will be youth for the next two weeks, learning all those songs. I just, like, please, no, please. But, um... So when I was in the in the children's church and in the you know and the program for kids as a as a younger person, they taught me this song that had all the books of the Bible memorized in order. Now I memorized that I can still do it to this day: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and go all the way through all sixty-six of them in order. And I had to memorize them in order. Now me figuring out that uh, um, the order is not right they're not in order i thought what a giant waste of time right like why did i do these in order the only thing it helps me with today is to find different books of the bible without having to look at the contents right which is which is beneficial for a pastor but outside of that all of that work of me cramming those things in my head and remembering and trying to do little tricks to remember which is which order they were in served me no purpose because they're not in order i think people don't ever really think about that because they see that they're put in order and they go, oh, well, you know, Job just so happened to happen after Nehemiah. Not the case at all. Job was the very beginning. Nehemiah is in line with Malachi, which is the very end. <clears throat> so anybody remember, let me just, anybody remember what happened with Nehemiah? What he's known for, like one specific thing, anybody? 
building a wall. There you go, right? He was built. He was known for building a wall. The um, the Israelite people were were um, released from Babylonian captivity, and they were building Jerusalem, and that was their protection around the city was to rebuild the wall. Well, while they're in the middle of rebuilding the wall, these Israelite people, God speaks to his people through Malachi and tells them he is not exactly happy with what they're doing. He's not exactly happy with what they're doing. And they ask it, and they, he says, well, you have robbed me, right? Malachi chapter 3, we talked about this in the series on money, right? It's about how, how have we robbed you? Well, you haven't set up the temple. You haven't provided for the Levites. You haven't sacrificed correctly. You haven't harvested your grain and then put extra in the, in the storage bin for all the people who might need it, who are, who are um, uh, like orphans and widows and people who are sick and unable to work. You haven't done any of this thing. You haven't followed my instructions. And so he goes through and tells them, you're not honoring the feasts. You're not sacrificing correctly you're not um you're not doing any of the things i've lined out for you to do and i'm upset with you for not holding to what i've instructed you to do <clears throat> he tells them he's upset with them um in the last chapter of the book of malachi which is the last chapter of the old testament this chapter is only six verses so i'm going to read it for you real quick and this is what the lord is saying through Malachi to his people. The Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. <clears throat> On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Let's pause there. Who's the son of righteousness? This is Jesus. It's a prophecy about Jesus coming. He will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out the pasture. On that day when I will act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he does something very important. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, and all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. And that's where we'll stop. <clears throat> He's telling them, Jesus is coming. The son of righteousness is coming. It's coming one day. Elijah's coming at the end of, at the end of everything. He's going to come back and, and he's going to be one of my prophets. But until we get to that point and until Jesus comes and the son of righteousness is revealed, obey the law of Moses. What is the law of Moses? Anybody know? There's two, two elements of the law of Moses. Anybody know what they are? Shout it out here if you got an idea. Don't be shy. First one is the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, right? Sarah's like, I knew it. I knew it. You just should have let it out there. Don't be afraid. Don't be as scared. Um, so the Ten Commandments is one, it was one, the first element. And the second element was the law of Moses. There were 613 really specific rules and laws they were supposed to follow okay so when he says i want you to remember and obey and follow the law he's talking about two things they are the 10 and the law of these things together is what he's referring to i want you to obey these things these words right here are the last words God communicated to anyone until angels started to appear to Mary, Joseph, and Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. When was Malachi written? More than 400 years before Christ was born. That means we don't have any record of God speaking during that time. Next on your notes, the time between the final word of Malachi and the angel appearing to Mary is over 400 years. He did not speak again for 400 years. Now you might say, 
Well, could he have? Sure, he could have. Is there a possibility that he spoke to someone or during that time frame it's just not recorded? Yes, but that would be a complete guess on our end. Be a complete guess because all we see here is the last thing that we can date is the latest book of the Bible, which is which is um, Malachi weaved in kind of with Nehemiah there. And about 400 years before Christ was born, he went silent for 400 years. Now, I know some of us, the anxiety level starts to increase when we have sent a text and it's not replied to within 30 minutes. You're looking at those old bubbles, right? It says delivered. Why would they leave it unread? Why would you just leave it like that? Why would you not respond? It's been a half hour. All I said was, are you on your way? And now I don't know if they're on their way. I don't know if I'm supposed to go. And the tension rises, right? Right? You can look at the bottom of those little blue bubbles, right? And see a read receipt. If you have a green bubble, I, I got to pray for you because I don't even know what to do. But the blue bubble says it's a read receipt. You know, a little joke for all you Android people out there. But you, you, if you got one of those bubbles that says it's been read, but no one replies, what are you waiting for? Right? I know people who will not wait for the microwave popcorn to go all the way through its process because they just want it right now. And they'll just eat half of it and leave the other half unpopped. We have a real patience problem. We cannot wait for anything. So I don't even know if we can wrap our heads around without them exploding right here in front of us. 400 years of silence. Nothing. Last thing he said was, Jesus is coming, Elijah is going to come after that. But until all that happens, follow the law of Moses. The law. The rules. The regulations. I want you to go back and follow the law. <clears throat> Jesus said that, or I mean, God told his people this quite a bit. And so as I was thinking back on the law and on the Old Testament, I don't know about you, but... I see how many chances God gave the people throughout all of the Bible, even from the beginning. What does, what happens? God creates mankind. God's in relationship with mankind. Mankind does whatever they want. They disobey. They take the punishment. They repent. God is reconciled. Now they're all back together. And what happens? He creates this new space for them. He creates a new um, avenue for them to be in relationship with him. And what do they do? They rebel, do their own thing. They get the punishment. They come back, they repent, and they start this whole cycle over and over and over again. When we say they rebelled or they turned against God, it means they did not follow the law that was laid out for them. They didn't follow it. They didn't harvest when they should have harvested. They didn't plant when they should have planted. They didn't rest when they should have rested. They didn't do any of that. All they did was whatever they wanted. They did not follow the law of Moses. This was the thing that they had with them. This is the thing that was given to them. This was the constant thing. <clears throat> I don't know if I can completely understand what that would be like to not know Jesus like we have the benefit of doing, not have the Holy Spirit reside inside of us if you're a believer in this room like we have, but to only have piece of paper. Here's a scroll, bro. These are all the laws. I uh, uh, told a uh, story to me this morning about a guy that he's working with who's, who's a, a Jewish man. And during this time frame, he sets up a tent in, the, in his backyard on his property to, as a kind of a, a memorial and a memory of the things that happened long ago in the Old Testament. On the inside of this tent wall are all of the laws of Moses. He said it's impressive. It's like I'm not bound by him anymore, but I walked in and was just like, man, all of these laws and the Ten Commandments are written on all of these on all of these walls. Why? Because they were told that the law was their guide. That was what they were supposed to have. <clears throat> Remember when the Old Testament in the Old Testament where the children of Israel asked for a king? 
and God gave him Saul, and that was a train wreck. That like totally blew up in their face, and that was crazy and all that. I sometimes wonder, why didn't God just step in right there? Because it was not any better afterwards, right? They got David, but David turned out to be jacked up. Sleeping with his, the granddaughter of his right-hand man. Murdering her husband. Taking her in his house to make himself look like the hero after he did something wrong because he didn't want to tarnish his image. Trying to get people drunk to go home and cover up his action, but their character was stronger than his and he was the king. All the things that he did, any, any moment of disobedience that he had, that came after. And then Solomon, the next king after that, what do we know about Solomon? What was his downfall? Huh? Too many women. Yeah, it's actually specifically the Bible says too many strange women. And when he says strange women, you know, we all know some strange women, right? But I'm not talking about them. <clears throat> like TikTok, bro, just start scrolling. You find a bunch of them, right? Um, but uh, when he says strange women, what he's talking about is people who had different beliefs. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Had a 1,000 women at his disposal to do whatever he could think of, and they were willing. And guess what? He still spun out of control. Spun out of control. Did not follow the law that was given to him. Didn't have this Holy Spirit to guide him. Didn't have a relationship with Christ. All they had was the written, the law. It was all written down. That's why they wrote it down. You know, if we were to look at God through the lens of our own humanity, I would tend to think that after all this time, God would just be like, oh, just forget it. You guys, I've given you so many times. I've given you grace so many times. I've, excuse me, I have, I have repented and put the, you know, I've t accepted your repentance. I've put this all back together. I have orchestrated this over and over. And this king came up and he doesn't do right. So I get rid of him and another king steps forward and, oh, he doesn't do right. And I get rid of him and another king and another king. And they just keep screwing up one after another after another. And yet he keeps going back to them, allowing them to mess up. And I just would wonder after a while reading all these stories about people who were disobedient, constantly looking at his law and saying, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live by that standard. I don't want to live in that framework. I don't want to read the Ten Commandments. I don't want to abide by this law of Moses. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. Why didn't he just say, enough is enough. Y'all ain't going to get this right. It would appear that we burnt God's patience out. The only problem is he never runs out of patience. So why did he just allow all of this stuff to keep going on and on and on? And I think there's several reasons for it, but during my study, something hit me. He allowed all of humanity to give whatever reason to give whatever excuse they had to not obey his law and show it didn't work if i could have power it would be great okay this man gets power and then he falls apart if i could just be able to have all the women i wanted sure solomon go right ahead it's not right but let's just go ahead and show everybody what happens when that's the only thing you pursue and what happens? He falls apart. All of these people over and over again, they set up other idols and somebody tears them down and then they, they go to other nations and, and, they, and they intermingle and they begin to marry with them and, and take on some of their beliefs. And he, you know, I don't want to just be here with the Jewish folks. I've seen the, the dating pool. I've swiped right too many times or left or whatever it is, right? And I've seen all the girls here. I want to look at the girls from that other town. Go over there and see what happens. And he allowed mankind to go through all of this stuff to show, are you going to submit yet? Are you going to keep doing things your own way? Are you going to keep ignoring my law? Oh, you have a, a different idea no one's thought of? Go ahead and try that. 
Go ahead and let that thing roll. Give that thing a try. You want to live this way? You want to live this type of lifestyle? You want to go where you want to go? You want to say what you want to say? You want to attack a nation that you want to attack without me? Go right on and do it. You can exhaust all of your options throughout all of humanity. And he let every single one of them happen. And then guess what he did? Inspired man to go, hey, write that down so we don't forget it later. It's one of my things that I'm astounded by people who don't who look at the Bible and be like, well, it can't be real is because, well, if it was fake, the authors would have made all of the main characters look good. Why would they tell their their shortcomings and how they displease God and he just whoosh, just you know just cut their line off their lineage out of out of existence why would he why would they talk about the failures repeated failures over and over again of people who were their kings their leaders the most famous among them why would they capture these negative things it's because God is inspiring them and telling them write this stuff down so later on people will be able to read this and know Doing things your own way doesn't work. I got a standard. The standard is the law. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the law of Moses. I have a standard. And no matter how many times I've let people try to do it their own way, they have never once aced the test. You've never once done it. No one's ever lived up to it. No one's ever been in perfection. That's why I gave you an opportunity to sacrifice, to cover up the sin. And then what happens later the next week? You go back and sin again. I honestly believe that one of the reasons that God let this go on for so long, and it was a long time, was to let man exhaust every self-focused opportunity to try to live up to God's standard through their own strength. That's not right for you. I've told you how to live. I don't want to do that. Okay. Uh, don't touch the hot stove. It's going to burn you. But I really want to. Don't touch the hot stove. But I'm really, I want to. Okay. Oh, this hurts. It's painful. Why did I do this? I'm so sorry. Okay, let me fix it. Let's go through the thing. You've experienced the pain. Let's heal up the hand. And now... Listen to what I've been telling you. Don't touch it. The don't touch it. The don't taste. The don't eat. The don't go these places. All of that was the law that God laid out for his people to follow in the Old Testament. And after almost a thousand years, at least, most people believe that um, the book of Job was written between 1,500 to 2,000 years before Christ was born. Malachi is written in 400. So you're looking at like an 1,100 to 1,500 year window of God saying, hey, kind of most of this time I've been telling you what to do and you don't want to do it. Just go back to what I said. We wrote it down for you. We wrote it down for you. You can read it anytime you want. You can go down to the temple where we're storing this thing and let the, the Levites and the priests read off all of this stuff to you. Let Read it off. But even though it's written on the inside of these tent walls, even though you've been memorizing it, you still turn away from it. God gave every opportunity on multiple occasions for the world, including his very own nation, to follow his directives and people, even though it was written down in plain black and white, still forsook him and turned their back on him. <clears throat> I think it's super funny that an arrogant and entitled for people today, and I've heard these in the last few months, people say things like, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about God and Christianity and all that kind of stuff, but you know, I'm just looking at some of these stories. I just don't know if they're real. And I go, you know, if I could just see a miracle myself. If I could just see a miracle, that would kind of do it for me. Like, I would, I would believe then if I could just see a miracle myself. And I say, really? If you could see a miracle. Because 
a nation of more than 3 million people saw all the 10 plagues happen in Egypt. They watched the, the firstborn children of the Egyptian nation where they were enslaved, all of them die, and all of the people who were God's children who put the blood on their doorpost and they experienced Passover, their children were the only ones that were saved and all the rest of them were, were, um, were, were killed in the middle of the night. God parted a sea. He drowned an entire army that was following his people in those waters. He made food come from the sky with quail. He meticulously placed manna, which is bread from heaven, every day on the ground for them to eat. He made the earth swallow up some of his adversaries. He made fire fall from the sky. He stopped the rain. He stopped the sunset. He gave them a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And when he said, go into the promised land, look at all these things that I have just done, go into the promised land, they're like, eh, I'm not sure if he's really going to be with us. If I could just see a pinky grow back, if I could just see a broken arm just healed, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Why? God's exhausted every one of those options with humanity in the Old Testament. He's shown miracle after miracle after miracle, and even with zero technology, they explained and rationalized it away through their own human mind because whenever we want God to act on our behalf, what, the way we want him to act, it never leads to more faith in him. When God does what I want, it puts me in a spot of entitlement, never of submission and faith to him. Doesn't happen with me, doesn't happen with you, didn't happen with any of these people in the Old Testament. Well, you know, I heard somebody else say, if we could just have the right leader, like the right guy to go out there for the Christian folks and be able to talk and like, he'll be like the perfect person. He'll be witty and charming, funny, but snarky when he needs to be. He'll take the high road, except for every once in a while, he'll just kick somebody in the shins. You know what I mean? Like a, in, a, in a debate and he'll represent us and we'll go, yeah, what he says. We just had a guy to lead us, the right pastor, the right minister, the right Christian leader, the right influencer. If we just had the right person, this would really be good because all these guys are flawed. If we just had that guy, really? Because uh, we talked about Saul, David, and Solomon. They were the kings over the nation of Israel before it split in two. You know how many more kings they had after them? 39. 42 total kings. You know how many of them followed God's commands? Eight. You're talking about 80% of the people did what they wanted to do. The 20% still screwed up and they asked God to forgive them, but ultimately only eight of them were classified as people who did what God wanted them to do. And if we just had the right leader, no. Because they had leader after leader after leader. They had this guy who was, was good looking and tall, this guy who was talented, this guy who was wise, this guy who was abled, this guy who was a good warrior. And they picked a different person every single time. And guess what happened? They still wound up turning against the law and the rules that were laid out for them. Well, if we could just have some simple rules, right? Because the Christianity thing's kind of kind of convoluted. Like some people say you should go to church on Saturday, some say it's Sunday. Some people say, oh, this version of the Bible is better than this version. Some people say you should give this amount of percent. This, this, other people say you should give this amount of percent. Other people say you shouldn't give it all. And then it's so confusing, and everyone's got these conflicting opinions. What if we just had, you know, just like a handful of simple rules, uh, the Ten Commandments, like those? Moses didn't make it down off the mountain before the people had already set up their own idol and started worshiping it and rejected what God had, had done for them. And they had just seen everything that happened in Egypt. They didn't even make it. 
He smashed them suckers on the ground because he was so mad and had to go back up and get a second copy. You think that we just have like a small like set of rules, everybody be like, okay, cool, that's it. No. Why? Already seen it. What if we had like really specific laws that would apply to everything in the culture? You mean like the 613 from the laws of Moses? Because those are really laid out pretty plainly. Everybody had a copy and could come and, and, and look at it or they had access to a copy of it. And they were all focused on the law. No Jesus, no Holy Spirit, only the law, only the law, only the law. That's all they were focused on. And still, what did they do? Their own thing. I heard somebody say recently, um, you know, it's hard for me to believe that somebody rose from the dead to save me from, you know, my sins. You know, if I could see them, you know, raised from the dead, if I could, you know, if I could look and make sure their brain activity was non-existent, and if I could hook an EKG up to their, you know, to their heart or whatever and make sure it was really stopped, and then we have some people, independent people, come in and verify that there's no pulse, he's not breathing, he's not been in a medically induced coma and all this kind of stuff, and then arise from the dead, uh, we would be like, oh, this is awesome, and maybe then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Are you sure? Yeah, because Jesus addressed this directly in Luke 16, 19 through 31. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. <clears throat> At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores, which is why I want someone to take Charlie. Finally, <laughs> finally, the poor man died and was carried to the angels to sit by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in all these flames, or in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And even some of the people who saw him tried to rationalize it away, go, oh, it wasn't really him. He didn't really die upon the cross. Uh, oh, maybe the, the, he didn't raise from the tomb. The disciples came and snuck out his body. No, they watched him, his tomb be empty. They heard the accounts of him appearing to people, over 500 people after he raised from the dead at different times, different locations, different group sizes, different places, different locations. They watched him do all that, and they still, with zero technology, rationalized it all the way. For every person who says, well, if I could just see him rise from the dead, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. It's already been dealt with. <clears throat> Next sign of your notes. God didn't exhaust his patience. He exhausted human excuses. God did not exhaust his patience. He exhausted human excuses. <clears throat> to tell you how important the law was to the Jewish people, this is um, from a, a website called worldhistory.us. Listen what they said. The ancient Jews began the education of their children at the age of five to seven. 
My nephew, Troy, is seven. Okay? This is the, the, he's at the back end of when they would start teaching people that age. Okay? This is what, they, this is what was their statement of how they trained them. At five years old, Scripture. At five years old, they started teaching them Scripture. At, at um, 10 years, the Mishnah. Mishnah is the oral tradition. They, they would write some things and they had an oral tradition where they would record and recite oral history to people. At 13, the commandments we just went through. And 15, the Talmud, which is the cultural, the cultural um, rules and how you're supposed to live in the culture. My nephew, his greatest concern is was he quiet at lunchtime to get a scholar dollar that he can trade in for candy later on in the in the week that's his greatest concern at seven but these guys at five started learning scripture every jewish male every young jewish boy was started to the process of memorizing the torah at the age of five I can't remember the words to all the SpongeBob theme song. But these guys are memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they're doing. They're memorizing these things. The first thing that a Jewish child was taught after he was old enough to speak, which is how old all the mothers in the room? Two. Or fathers, thank you. Very good. Two. Um, after he was old enough to speak, two texts of scripture is what he was taught. These are the ones. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the second one is, Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob, meaning that extends to us. Ever since them kids could speak, no mama, no dada, no um no pancake no whatever you know what tv no ipad that's not their words what their words were hero israel that there is one god and moses gave us a law that still applies to us at two years old they started teaching him because the thing that they were guided by all the time in the old testament was the the law This helps me understand some of David's writings. So if you've been in church a long time, you, you probably have heard some of these passages. Psalms 1, 1 through 2. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. His word was the written commands of God, which is the law. He is going back and telling all of these people, I need to make sure that I know these rules, these guidelines. I have to have the law in me. I have to have the law in my mind because this is how we're supposed to live. All they had was a piece of paper. All they had was a scroll. And that was what they were supposed to live their entire life by. There's no negotiation. There's no feel. There's no trying to figure out what I want to do and how I want to express. Doesn't matter, dude. That's the law. The next line in your notes, pretty simple. The law was with them. That was the thing that was with them. And then, after all this focus on the law, all this focus on follow the rules, God says it one last time, Follow the law of Moses, and then he stops talking. 400 years is almost twice the time America has been in existence as a nation. 400 years is a long time. You know how short the lifespans were in 1622 instead of 2022? You know that when the settlers started to come to the new, the new land or the free world, that the male life expectancy was somewhere in the mid-30s? 
because of disease and famine and starvation and unable to keep themselves warm and the and the and the crazy snow that they were uh, that they were experiencing in the cold temperatures in the 1600s there was no oh it's a little bit too hot in here can i bump the ac down a couple of degrees there was no man it's super hot today i'm going to crank down the air and just sit in front of the fan none of that george washington the first U.S. president died because the, the medical practice of the day when he was sick was to bleed him out, take out the bad blood and let his body make good blood. And so they literally cut open a vein and let him bleed out everywhere. And they, they didn't stop it in time. And he bled out and died. We look at that and go, that's just so stupid, right? That was what was happening. That type of stuff was happening hundreds of years ago. All the technology that changes and the rapid pace that we see today and a new social media pop, a site pops up after six months and is now grabbing the attention or whatever. All of that happened so quick, but 400 years of nothing from God. Nothing, not a word. I already told you what to do, follow the rules. And then, for all the people who are still on the thing of like, well, if I saw a miracle, I think I would still believe um, God hadn't spoken in 400 years, and he sent an angel to talk to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. When I say an angel popped up, I do not mean that a giant dude with a glowing face and a white robe and a halo and wings and super muscular and long golden hair popped up and said, Hey there, I have a message from the Lord for you. Hark, behold, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't do that. None of that is how the Bible describes angels. They are some of the most uniquely designed beings that we would never be able to wrap our head around going, oh my gosh, what did I just see? A messenger of God, an angel, appears to Zechariah and says, hey man, things are about to change around here. The Messiah's coming. Your child is not the Messiah. Your wife's going to get pregnant, and she's going to be pregnant with the one who comes before him to say, hey, he's coming. Everybody, everybody listen up. Everybody, everybody, hey, let me have your attention. He's coming. He's coming. He's right behind me. He's coming. That's what your son's going to be. You, who still want to, I want to see a miracle. That guy saw the miracle. The angel appeared to him. His wife is pregnant. And then he's going, oh my gosh. What would you do? All of you say like, oh, I would rejoice. I would be glad. Right. You know what this guy did? Eh, I'm not really sure. That was his response. Are you sure this is really going to happen? I'm not really convinced. You're not convinced. Oh, you mean you saw a miracle? And you were spoken to by a heavenly being that had a message from God himself to you that's proving to be right. And yet you're going, eh, I'm not sure I could grow with you. And then the angel says, okay, um, after 400 years of being silent to human beings, God appears and starts talking to him again. And the first one goes, eh, I'm not sure if I believe. I sometimes wonder if God was like, see, that's why I didn't talk to him for this whole, life, this whole time. But that's me, that ain't him. Then he appears to Mary and Joseph and hears what the angel says to Joseph. And this is very important for us. This is when the, when the pivot begins to happen. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Let's stop right there. <clears throat> Mary is already engaged to Joseph. According to the culture, you weren't allowed to sneak off and go be alone on dates you had to get together at big giant family celebrations 
There was none of this living apart from home, like on your own, the single life and all that kind of stuff wasn't a thing. You lived with your family until you created another family and then became another family and your family and that family helped you establish your families. It was all about families. There was none of this single stuff, the single life. So Joseph and Mary are at an event with all their families around. Fire's going, food's been cooked. Hey, I get to see Mary today. He's out there making a house for them, you know, with his dad. They're preparing a place to, to go and establish their family together. And he's like, oh, man, this is the girl I've been working for. I hit my hand with that hammer so many times. I've been bleeding. I got cuts on my hands from cutting down the trees. I've been doing all this work. I'm sweating all this labor. I get to see my girl today. No FaceTime. There's no snapping a, a, you know, a selfie and sending it to me real quick. None of that. I had to physically see her. He's all excited. He's, the families are excited. And she walks in and sits next to him. And he's like, dang, girl, you look good. He's got this glow about you today. It's something different. It's just, man, it's just, I love you. It's great. And then she goes, I'm glad to see you too. I have, I have something I want to tell you. Oh, whatever it is, just know I love you. You love me, I love you. Remember those nights? You hang up. No, you hang up first, right? Remember all that? <clears throat> Dominic remembers that very well, right? <clears throat> you hang up first. No, you hang up. No, I just, I want to fall asleep to your voice. To you breathing in the other end of this, this handset that's got a 90-foot cord that's connected to the wall. I want to listen to your voice, right? <clears throat> This girl leans over, and he's thinking he's going to get a sweet little thank you for everything. I can't wait to be your wife and all that stuff. And she leans over and goes, hey, just want to let you know I'm pregnant. Wait, what? I don't know about you, but at that point, I feel like I got the right as the guy to jump stupid, right? Like to be loud. Wait, what did you just say? Hold all this celebration. Hold all this dinner going on. What did you just say? You're pregnant. Uh, who is the guy? Uh, it's the Lord. Mmm, okay. Yeah. Woo, girl. Not only are you a hot mess, you crazy too. The Lord, is that the guy's last name? What's his first name? Like Mr. DeLord? Is that his last name? No, no. What is his name? No, I'm telling you, I am pregnant and God made me pregnant. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to, another way to say it. And what does he do? Girl. I'm not even going to play with you. And instead of getting up and making a scene like I probably would have, he says, I'm going to just kind of let this go quiet. I'm going to dissolve the thing. I'm just going to let there be a long time. If they don't see us together, I'm not going to call her out. I'm not putting her on blast. I'm not putting her picture and tagging a whole bunch of those little names I want to call her online so everybody knows that she's a little traitor. You know, she's been cheating on me. I didn't call the television show to have a PI follow her around and me confront her on the walk into a coffee shop with another guy or whatever. I didn't do all that. I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to say, look, this is not going to work out. You just go and do your thing and we'll be separate. I'm not going to make a public spectacle of you because the Bible says that Joseph was a good man. <clears throat> he decided not to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now let's keep going with the scripture. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And this is the message I want you to hear. The virgin will, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. <clears throat> Up until that time, what did they have with them? The law was with them. 
The rules were with them. The Ten Commandments were with them. The law of Moses with them. All they had was the law. The law was with them. And at this point in time, God steps in and says, hey, I'm sending you my son because y'all have tried all these different ways to live up to my standard. I've let you do it for 1,500, you know, more than 1,000 years, hundreds and over 1,000 years. I've let you do this for all this period of time, and it didn't work. So now... When the law was with you, y'all couldn't do it. So I'm going to fulfill the law for you, and it's no longer the law with you, but now it's God with you. And everything at that moment changed. <clears throat> Our reason for celebrating during this time of Christmas appeared on the scene. Jesus was born and placed in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. The other day when we were coming home um, from school, I, I picked up Leigh and Troy and was coming home, my niece and my nephew, and they said, Uncle, why do we give gifts at Christmas time? They, gave, they first told me what they wanted, which was an extensive list of very expensive things, right? <clears throat> but then they said, why do we give gifts at Christmas time? I'm like, do you not know? And they said, no. And so I figured I would stop and ask today, do any of us know why we give gifts at Christmas? Huh? Right. It is an honoring of God's gift to us and how the wise men brought gifts to Jesus in a celebration that he is the perfect gift. We give gifts to each other not because it's the season of giving or because old saint nick fit down your non-existent chimney out here in the desert and somehow snuck in and and slipped all the all the the, the stuff under your the presents under your tree and because we want to keep up the 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 facade for all the kids who think that jeep that santa claus is still real i don't want to say it too loud because some of y'all might still be in the middle of that <clears throat> But the reason that we give gifts to each other is because of the most famous verse in the Bible starts with this, for God so loved the world that he gave. The gifts are not to try and give you something, uh, something nice to, to because we love you and all that kind of stuff. The gifts, th that might be true, but the real reason we give gifts is an honor because we have been given a gift that we cannot repay. The gift was no longer having to follow the law. The gift was God with us. I heard a financial planner talk about the stresses of giving gifts, you know, throughout the holidays. And I don't know if you're a parent in here or for all the parents who were like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know what to buy them. I didn't know what to buy my, you know, my daughter, my son, you know, all this stuff. And <clears throat> I was the oldest of like 11 grandkids. So before all the rest of them little suckers came along, I was the one who got all the gifts. There's like 18, 19, or 20 of those things I was opening up on Christmas Eve in my grandmother's house. And then my brother came along, and then I didn't have like 18 or 19. I had like 16 because they gave him some. And then my other cousin was born, and then I had like 13. And then another cousin was born, and it was a girl. So then it went down to like nine. And I was like, <clears throat> what's happening here? You're eating away at my, at my, at my, 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 my take-home here, right? And I heard a financial planner say, if you've ever stressed about giving gifts around the season, there's this little nifty little rhyme that might help you. Buy your kids or buy your people four gifts, four things, okay? And here it is. You may have heard it before. And, and they're in the next four lines in your notes. The first one is something they want. Pretty simple, something they want. The something, what is it? Something they need. Something they need. The second one is something they need. Something they want, something they need. Something to wear. The third one, something to wear. Sergio's just preaching now. He's preaching. <laughs> <clears throat> something to wear. And the fourth one is? Something to read. Something to read. Some of y'all heard this before. Something they want, something they need, something to wear, something to read. Not things that they're going to throw away on the floor and play with the box instead of the toy, like the young kids do, right? Um, but great little formula. Don't break the bank. Give them something they want, something they need, something to wear, something to read. <clears throat> and I, and I thought about that and I was like, man, I'm, 
told Nina, I'm like, we might implement this for our New Year's gifts, right? And as I was getting ready for the message, I thought, man, Jesus, he fulfills all those things. Something I want. A Bentley. No, not that. Not selfishly want. What does every single person in the world want? Meaning and purpose. Those are the next food. Yes, food. That would be a good one. That's a close third. It's a close third, Elijah. <clears throat> but the next, but that's the next line of your notes. What does every every person wants? Meaning and purpose. How did I get here? And why am I here? Every single person wants meaning and purpose. Something they want. Something they need. Every single person needs grace and salvation. All of you need it in a higher degree than you would admit. Because most of the crazy that happens, y'all have learned not to let it come out in actions, but it resides here and here. And God forbid that Neuralink thing that Elon's working on gets plugged into my brain and broadcasts my thoughts for somebody else to read. Anybody else panicked about that? You should be. Because the things that go through here are far worse than the actions that come out. Everybody's like, I don't want to say yes. It's true. I'll say yes for you. It's true with me. Everybody needs grace and salvation. Something we want, meaning and purpose, something we need, grace and salvation, what everybody wears, what every believer wears is the righteousness of God. <clears throat> if you're a believer in this room, God's spotless life, his perfect life, his unstained, unblemished righteousness has been, you've been covered in it. And God, when he sees you, chooses to see God's, Jesus's perfection, his righteousness, he chooses to see that even though underneath we know everything that's messed up underneath. Something we want, meaning and purpose. Something we need, grace and salvation. Something to wear, the righteousness of God. And the last thing is every person's been given to read is God's word. <clears throat> every one of those things was wrapped up in the perfect gift that is Jesus. And God, in a way that only he can do, he is the gift that keeps on giving. Because he came and lived that perfect life. And when he walked the earth, he was God with us. But how that stays true for us as believers and followers of Christ is because he sent his spirit to reside in us so we're not alone. God is Emmanuel. He is with us. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to remain with us in every circumstance of life. <clears throat> Think about it. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve through the garden. He was with them. Humanity spun off, and what did he do? He sent his son so God would be with them. After Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, he sent his Holy Spirit for us so that God would be with us. The entire picture I'm trying to paint today by talking about the law, the law, the law, and how it was the only thing with them, and how God said, I'm going to do away with that, that whole process. I'm going to fulfill that covenant, and now the law is not going to be the, the thing that is with you. It is going to be God with you. He is with you. He's not for you. I'm his child and I get to do whatever I want. No, no, no. He's not going to sign off and endorse selfish endeavors by his own children. He's not for you, but he is with you. Adam Clark is a, um, he has a statement. It's the last one that's here on your notes. I'm going to read <clears throat> out loud. He talks about, um, how is God with us? And he, he wraps this up just perfectly. In what sense then is Christ God with us? Jesus is called Emmanuel or God with us. 
He's with us in his incarnation. God united to our nature. God with man. God in man. God with us by his continual protection. God with us by the influences of his Holy Spirit and the Holy Sacrament and the preaching of his word in private prayer. God with us through every action of our life that we begin, continue, and end in his name. He is God with us to comfort, enlighten, protect, defend us in every time of temptation and trial, in the hour of death, in the day of judgment, and God with us and in us and we with him and in him to all eternity. What I'm trying to paint the picture of is to remind us this Christmas that God is with you. He's with you in life, in, de in death, in temptation, in trial, in rejoicing, in gain, in loss, in abundance, in lack, in giant winds of celebration, in, in heart, heart painstaking loss. And the promotion at your job or laid off right before the holidays, God is with you. He's with you. We read the Old Testament. I think we think, or we've been told by some pastors and preachers, ah, you just got to get rid of that old thing. No, 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 no. Why? Because everything you've ever thought of has been done by these people and it never worked. That was the law with them, but you live in a time where God is with you. <clears throat> and if he's with you, who can be against you? How does this now come into a way that we can apply it when we leave here? Very simple. The number one season of the year for suicides is this time period. More people kill themselves around Thanksgiving and Christmas than any other time in the year. Sorrow, mourning the loss of a loved one, mourning the, the death of a dream that didn't happen. Mourning the, the loss of a childhood that seemed so innocent and pure and happy and now is nowhere to be found. Trying to go back and say, this is going to be my first Christmas without so-and-so. It's going to be my first Christmas with this ailment. This is going to be my first Christmas in this situation. It's going to be my first Christmas not experiencing things like I used to. This is going to be all different. And it's a temptation for us during the time where we should be enjoying one another, should be pressing into God deeper, should be enjoying our family, embracing the people around us, not isolating, but showing up to the parties you don't want to show up to. Why do people pull back during the time is because they feel like they're alone. But if you're a believer, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with Not the law, not the rules. I got to do all this stuff. No, 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 no. Stop all of that. I didn't act really right this year. And I don't know if I really deserve anything. Stop. God is with you. And in the moments where there's heartbreak, he's your comforter. In the moments there is chaos, he is your peace in the moments where there is where there is failure he remains victorious in the moments where everything went sideways he is your clarity he can carry you through whatever the situation is that you're facing 
now and the situations are amplified because everybody's getting all sentimental and thinking about the old times and all right now. It's easy to be tricked into thinking you're alone. The entire point of going through this entire message is to remind you God is with you. When the tears start, don't fight them, but God is with you. When the laughing starts and the game start and the, and the, the presents are open and you're sitting in that moment going, can it get any better than this? God is with you. I don't want you to leave here with any other idea that says I'm alone, I'm by myself, all this is going to fall apart on me or whatever that is. What I want you to leave here with is an insane gratitude and a deep remembrance that God is Emmanuel. He is with us.